You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. Karen Wickiam, and I am the host of STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and you are about to listen to our favorite hillbillies, Jerry and Tracy, on Hillbilly Horror Stories. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to episode 51 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry, and I am joined once again this week by Tracy. Hey, guys. I miss you all so much. She is back from Vegas. We still have a roof over her head, so I guess it was not that bad of a trip. (laughs) It was hot as balls out there, let me tell you. Hot. 112 degrees. And I don't play that stuff. But thank God for the casinos. I just ducked in there. So it was all good. Yeah, ducked in there for several hours at a time. Yeah, like 24-7. <laughs> no, except for one time my boss took us really on a really bad uh, trip to find something. I kept saying, we're going the wrong way. And man, he'd like to warm me out. That's all I'm going to say. Because it was a long, hot walk. I'd like to start off, obviously, the way we always do, with a shout out to our military and civil servants. We had one new Patreon supporter this week, Annette, I'm assuming it's Ushman. I'm probably wrong on that because I usually am. We were a little short on the iTunes review, so it won't take us as long to get through these. We had Jeray Ray, Trini Martinez, who also bought a t-shirt. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, AMDFYT43578. That's very catchy. I don't know how you came up with that. I know. I kind of feel like I want to sing it. But, but. That was actually a really good review because it was talking about our 50th episode and, mm-hmm. and hoping for 50 more. So it was probably the longest review we've had on Facebook. I yeah. mean, uh, iTunes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Callie at Heart99 and C2Main. I think that's how it's, it looks like mm-hmm. that's how it would be pronounced. And before we get any further in some exciting news for upcoming shows, I think Tracy has some things to say. Well, I just wanted to say I really did miss you guys. I feel like I haven't been on the podcast in like a month. But I wanted to thank all my kids for stepping in and taking over. They did an awesome job. I was so very proud of them. 
and I, I know that you would like to get back on again. And uh, I just want to say thank you guys for listening, and I'm glad to be back. Easy enough. Well, I would like to second that uh, because I know what, I've thanked them personally, but on the show I would like to say thank you because I think they did an excellent job. We've they gotten sure did. a lot of good reviews, and and honestly, through Saturday. This was our most listened to show for the first uh, six days that was up. So I guess you guys must have liked it too. Yeah. Hopefully not more than me. (laughs) But that's okay if you did because I understand. Okay, here's the deal. A lot of people send us requests and we get a lot of the same ones. And we don't do those shows. and, And people are like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that show? Because they think we should be because it's a popular story. Well, the main reason is, and I've not come public with this on the show. <laughs> oh, my God. What are you going to say? say? But I've been saving all those shows. I've been oh. hoarding them. Hoarder. Be- because August is our one-year anniversary. And why do an anniversary show when we can do an anniversary month? No. Oh. Therefore, and once again, that's a complete surprise to Tracy. Yeah. Just like the stories. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not in his little head, so I don't know what the heck. <laughs> I'm sure I've told her that three or well, four he, times, and she's probably well, just neglected. Well, he probably has. He probably has. But but here's here's what we're going to do. All these stories that you guys have been sending, you're going to be excited because we're going to blast them all out in August. Not only are we going to do them, but most of the shows in August will probably be between an hour and a half and two hours long. Because not only are we going to do the stories you want, we're going to cram them packed. I have lots of special guests coming. And like I said, we're, we've got... Just loads of stuff for you guys. We're going to have some giveaways. Uh, I signed on with a headphone company that's supposed to be the newest, hottest thing. Uh, they're giving me uh, some headphones to give away to you guys. Nice. We're, we're going to have fun. We'll probably give away a couple of T-shirts. But we're going to have fun stuff all this month. You want to hear some of the stories that are coming up? Yeah. Surprise me. Well, it will be a surprise anyway. <laughs> How about the Bermuda Triangle? Oh. Tons of requests for that nice. since we started this show. I think that's where my dang scrub is. That's, it may very well be. That's where my scrub is. It's in the triangle. The true story of The Conjuring. Why have we waited on this one? We've done The Conjuring 2. We've done a bunch of the Warren stuff. This one is the one that takes the cake as far as I'm concerned. This has got the, the to do with the Perrin family. I am working on. Nothing is etched in stone yet. But I'm working on getting an interview uh, with the with the daughter, uh, one of the parent daughters who actually wrote a book about this to try to get her on. Oh, wow. That would be amazing. The goal is to do that show for our actual anniversary show, which will be the 53rd episode, two weeks away. If I can get her lined up, we're going to do the true story of The Conjuring, have her interview, and we're also going to do a story on another popular one. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Everybody wants to know about the Warrens, and they know all their cases. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the other stories we got coming up. The Black Monk House over in Great Britain may be the most haunted place in the world. People have requested that, especially our British listeners. We are going to do a story on the Black Monk House. And probably the most requested of all of them, the Mothman. Oh. We're going to do that, uh, and I know that's been done to death, but we're going to try to put a different spin on it. And we'll do uh, a little more in-depth and, and cover some stuff on that. I was going to do Edgar Casey, which is a Kentucky boy, and most of you out there who are into the paranormal will know who exactly who that is. Uh, but 
my one of my good friends Justin Rimmel is in the process of doing a four part episode and he has got so many details. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, I decided to back out of that one, but I will refer people who are interested in Edgar Casey uh to listen to his show Mysterious Circumstances. Why am I bringing that up? Because Justin is also going to be a special guest for this uh, month of August. Justin's show, Mysterious Circumstances, is completely awesome. Covers some true crime, covers some paranormal. But he covered a paranormal story on Donnie Decker, the Rain Man. Not to be confused with Dustin Hoffman. I thought that's who that was. But, you know, I'm thinking the whole time, when does he say 10 minutes to Wapner? But that wasn't the story. Um, he's a good he's a good teller of a story too yeah justin a lot of people compare us as far as our storytelling and and uh technique uh to each other uh that's about where the comparison stopped because he's like yeah yeah, he's like 10 times better looking than i am he's got hair yeah you're a good looking baby i said 10 times better that's what i said that didn't mean regardless so justin justin we actually did our interview last night it was 40 minutes long and the majority, it wasn't just an interview. So I know, I know how you guys are about interviews. We did about a 10-minute interview, so he'd tell you about his show. But the other 30 minutes or so was mm-hmm. him actually telling this story. Mm-hmm. It so, was good. Yeah, Real good. It's, so he told a complete story. I pretty much left him alone. We'll throw that on uh, to one of the shows. Another guest we got coming on, Chris Cogswell, the mad scientist. If any of you l- listen to that, Chris is completely over my head. He is uh, a true scientist, and he is way too smart for me. So every show that I listen to of his, I follow about 80% of it, and he loses me for 20% of it. Oh, he is for real. But he's actually going to come on the same show yes. and try to debunk what we just heard from Justin. So I think that would be cool. That's going to be fun. A couple of the other big ones we got coming on in the month of August, Diane and Denise from our buddies from nice. History Goes Bump. Good. Been Should have had them on a long time ago, but once again, I was saving them. And there was another real big one that some of you, I'm going to say most of you will probably know, Dina Marie, the host of Twisted Philly, one of my favorite podcasts, and uh, we, we've been trying to get this worked out for a while, and we've got it set up. So that's what we got for August. We've got all those stories, and there's going to be more, um, but that's, that's the big names out there. So that's what we got. Yay, I'm bunch, excited. Bunch of big guests, a bunch of, and I'm still and that's working. that's your birthday month. Yep, that's my birthday month. And that's, what a good present. And it's Kevin Tuttle's birthday, yes, which is God the you, uh, the Kevin. anniversary of when we started this, which was yep. the reason we chose that day. Yes. So are we ready to get on with this show? Let's get it on. I'll, you guys, I I know we, we hear from you guys when we do these kind of stories that are not as popular uh, because you like the the popular stories <laughs> well no they well i mean they like the popular stories but they also like to hear about the ones that they've never heard about mm-hmm. and i think what we've got tonight is one that most of you are probably going to be unfamiliar with so you'll get a big kick out of it okay well you look surprised no i'm not surprised at all this time for <laughs> once <laughs> so let's talk about the byron street poltergeist also known as the Run corn thing. Run corn thing. Right. Run corn is one word. Run corn. It's in Is Great it something Britain. that runs in the corn? It is not. Oh. I don't even know if they grow corn in Great Britain. Oh, I don't know either. That's interesting. I'd like to know that. So anyway, run corn is in the UK. And this happened in August of 1952. Just to give you a little background on who is living at this house, you've got Sam Jones, who's 68 years old. You've got his sister-in-law, Lucy Jones, and and what happened with his sister-in-law, his brother had passed away, so I guess he had 
Um, his sister-in-law stayed with him. Oh, well, that's nice. He had his grandson, John, his granddaughter, Eileen, Ellen Whittle. Now, Ellen was uh, like a middle-aged woman that was like a boarder. So she was just mm-hmm. staying there and paying them to stay paying there. Paying rent or something. Right. And because she was paying rent, she got her own bedroom, which wouldn't be that big of a deal normally. But I was going to say, that's kind of a lot of people in that house. You had a it? lot of people in the house. It was a three-bedroom house. So what the layout was, Ellen got her own room because she was obviously paying. And then one of the other bedrooms, you had okay. Sam and John. And then in the last bedroom, you had Eileen and Lucy. So that was the typical arrangements. Uh, The difference, though, on this particular night is they had some relatives in. It was uh, uh, Sam's actual son, and his wife came to visit. So they gave them one of the bedrooms. So what you had in one room, one bedroom with two beds, you had Sam and um, John actually sleeping in one bed. And in the same room, in the other bed, you had Lucy and Eileen actually sleeping there. So you got four people, one bedroom, and that's going to give you the the layout of what happens that night. They're in the bed. They're kind of just, you know, starting to kind of lay down and settle down. And Lucy thinks she hears something, some kind of a noise coming from the dresser. Hmm. They flip on the lights. Sam checks out the dresser. He's like, "Um, there's nothing going on here. So they go back to bed. Well, about that time, they start hearing the scratching and stuff, and it gets pretty loud. It sounds like that you know something's actually inside the dresser trying like, to claw its way out, like mice. Well, I mean something. Oh, but it was enough where it freaked them out. So yeah. they they go into the next room, and they just kind of waited it out a little bit. It mm-hmm. stops. They're like, okay, cool. There's no more noise. Let's go back in there and lay down again. They go in there and lay down, and, and they're just in there for a short time, and it starts again. And at this point in time, it kind of freaks them out to the point where they didn't get any sleep that night at yeah, all. Yeah, I wouldn't either. So the next night was even worse. They're trying to go in there and sleep. In the same, it's the same setup. It's all four of them in the bedroom mm-hmm. again. This time, though, the drawers would, they could hear the drawers pull out, kind of rattle a little bit, and then slam shut the heck yeah no mice can do that yeah not and not only that now the dresser starts rocking back and forth oh my gosh and this is like a heavy dresser this is like a big you know and and in i don't know about all over the world i know in great britain and i know in some of the other parts of the world they call a dresser a dressing table so it's the same thing Mm -hmm. if we say dresser and you're in another part of the, the world and you don't yeah. Uh, not sure exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a dressing table slash dresser. They're, oh. it's, they're the same depending on where you're at. Oh, cool. Found it out when we lived in the Virgin Islands when people kept coming in and asking for dressing tables. And I'm like, Oh, and you didn't know what that I'm was. I'm like, What the hell's a dressing table? But it was a dresser, is what a dressing oh, table is. Oh, that is was. so interesting. Yeah. So, you know, they start having that problem. They did the same thing. They leave, they come back, and. Now they start hearing this thing crashing back and forth on the wall. They flip on the lights. This thing is now about a foot away from the wall. It's moved itself a foot away from the wall, something that weighs a ton. And over the next several days, they start hearing knocking now. So now the scratching is, is still there, but now they're hearing knocking, and the knocking's coming from all over the house. Oh, wow. That's rude. Yeah. And Sam Jones has lived in this house for 35 years. And he's had the dresser for 42 years, 
and he's never had any kind of occurrences before. No kidding. Yeah. Wonder why all of a sudden. I don't know. So what? So what happens is they start hearing this again. He don't know what else to do, so he calls the police. Well, I, I don't know what the police are supposed well, to do. Well, I don't know either. But that's what he does. So he calls the police, and they come in. They tr- start trying stuff. Like, they took um, tape, mm-hmm. and they put it over top of the doors. Oh, to try to, to the keep drawers. them shut. Yeah, mm-hmm. they held them over top of the drawers. They took a glass and put it on top of the, the dresser mm-hmm. just to see what was happening. Because keep in mind, this stuff only happens when the lights are off. And initially, the police think... Okay, these guys are doing something. Mm-hmm. So the plan was they wanted to make sure to keep an eye on. So they were they were keeping an eye on the the kids, and I say kids, but John was actually seventeen years old, and he was actually the youngest of the bunch. But mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure that they weren't physically doing it. So they were trying to keep an eye on him, and they turned the lights off, and the stuff would start happening. Right at at one point in time, you could hear a loud crash where the glass fell off the dresser. They flip on the lights. There's, you know, it sounded like it was way worse than that. But when they actually flipped on the lights, it was just that glass mm-hmm. had went off and broke. And even though they could hear the drawers smashing and back and forth, the tape hadn't been taken off of them. Get out. So it's like, it's like the noise was there, but there really wouldn't. Oh my gosh. There are ghosts with skills. Yeah. There was at one point, there was a chest of drawers. Uh, for those of you in other parts of the country, that's called a chest of drawers. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah. oh. Well, I didn't have a different name. So. I know. That's a funny name. I think that's a funny name anyway. You know, when you live in the South what? and you got hicks all around you like my family, I grew up, I was probably 16 or 17 years old before I realized it was chest of drawers. What do you think it was? Chester drawers. Chester drawers, I know. Chester drawers. <laughs> that's, like the, that's like the name of a pedophile. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hey, kids, I got some candy. That's me, Chester. Chester drawers. Oh, ew. That's that my, was kind of creepy. That's my pedophile voice. Oh, that's just, let's not do that no more. <laughs> that's wrong. Pedophiles are bad. Pedophile. Like, that goes without saying. Pedophiles are bad. Yeah, that goes without saying, but pedophiles are bad. And I was an ugly kid, so. You pedophile. was ugly? Yeah. You were not ugly. Pedophiles didn't have, I mean, I'm, be, they would come by in their little van and giving candy to the other kids. I'm like, hey, I like candy, too. And it's. Drive drove off. off. Drove off. Aww. So anyways. You poor thing. I know. <laughs> so. Why are you goofy? I know. Way to, way to break the mood. So they're sitting there and they're, they have these, they got this chest drawers on top of the stairs. Two burly police officers and they're holding, like trying to hold this chest of drawers down and it knocks them off. They just get knocked off of it out of the blue. Oh yeah. I was going to say, why aren't they just getting rid of that thing? Well, and that's a whole different thing. That was the, that was a chest, not the dresser. Oh, see, I made that clarification earlier. You chest did. of drawers, not the dresser. Yeah. Anyway, so that that was the big thing going on with there. So they call in this. Um, he's a medium by the name of Philip France, and they wanted him to kind of you know take a look around. So he has a séance. He claims that when he was in the room because he wanted to go to the bedroom by himself. That's where most of the occurrence were. Mm-hmm. He goes in there and. He claims that there was stuff being thrown around. There was an alarm clock that fell and hit the floor and all stuff. And he was the only one in there. So stuff flying through the air. Yeah, there's stuff flying through the air now. Oh, wow. And 
the, you know, when all this went on, the whole thing was that Sam Jones, he didn't want any kind of media attention or anything. He just wanted to keep this low key because, yeah. you know, back in the 50s, obviously, you're going to be looked at as a kook or something yeah. if you, you know, had something like going on. But regardless, somehow or another, it made it to the newspaper. There was an article written. Uh, and they just basically listed it as an odd occurrence that had been resolved. But that was still enough to pique people's interest as to what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, so... At this point, though, it it was starting to look like the seance did something because things had kind of calmed down. So they're thinking, hey, finally. And now they were able to lay down and get some sleep, and it was the first time in like four days they were able to get any sleep. Three weeks later, it returned. Oh, so it got stayed away for three weeks? Yeah. So yeah. now that it returns, the papers start getting wind of it again, and, and now they start to call it the run corn thing. Oh. Yeah, so that's where the name came from. Now you got the same thing. The dresser would move from side to side. The drawer would shoot out. And people, I guess the the normal thought process was that this was a hoax. It was just something that was they were trying to do for attention for whatever reason. And what you would have is people starting to gather outside the house, and sometimes as many as 100 people out there trying to get a glimpse of this thing just in case. And they even started calling it Juker, which was uh, supposedly a, a cross of the word spook and joker. Uh-huh. That was how how assured that people were that it was some kind of a hoax. Yeah, but the thing didn't happen till at night, so how are they going to see it? Well, and that's the whole thing is what they were trying to do is they would show up with flashlights and stuff. Now, they called them torches, but oh. it's basically a flashlight because yeah. nobody's, you know, it's not Frankenstein or nothing. They're yeah. running down the street with torches. It's 1950s. Right. So they were showing up in flashlights and stuff trying to see it. Uh, what What's happening with uh, Sam is he got tired of this media attention because with the media attention now, it was making him look like an idiot. Right. And he basically was inviting it. He told everybody, hey, come take a look for yourself. You want to experience what we experience? Come come experience it. Mm-hmm. So you actually had people doing that. Like I said, at one time they had over 100 people. And, hell, they were walking up, and, you know, up through the steps. You had a line going out of the house. And the, the problem was, obviously, like you said, it only happened with the lights off. So they brought flashlights. When you've got the situation where everything just happens in the dark, it makes it a whole lot harder to believe because how can you really see or, yeah. or you know, discredit anything when you've got, mm-hmm. you know, the darkness. So that was the situation we had. Uh, most people thought that John was the person creating it, which was a 17-year-old. Who knows why he would do that, but, you know, there was just that, that group of people started focusing on him because, you know, teenagers and teenagers mm-hmm. play pranks and it just made sense that if it was going to be one, he would be the one. They even had people sit on him while these things were happening to make sure that he wasn't getting out of bed uh, okay, so then, or doing it. So then when they were there, did the other people experience it? Yeah, there was lots of times where people experienced oh. it. Where this really takes a turn is there was a reverend by the name of um, Stevens. And he was, I'm trying to think of it. He was a Methodist preacher. W.H. Stevens was his name, but he was a Methodist preacher. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, preacher but he also was a member of the society for physical research which is a a group that's been around literally since like the early 1800s oh really um this thing was is probably the most acclaimed paranormal 
not really paranormal, but that's kind of where it's something today. But it's, it's, you know, as far as um, those type of things, it's the biggest group and the most acclaimed that, that England has. And this guy has been a member of it for years. Well, he was fascinated by these type of things, and he'd read up on things. But this is the first time that something like this ever just happened right in his own backyard. Oh, cool. So he was able to actually go and be a part of it. So he contacted him, and on Monday, 22nd of September, he came over to check it out. Now, keep in mind, he's fascinated by this, but he's a skeptic. He doesn't believe that any of this stuff really exists, but he also can't prove that it doesn't, and now he's got a chance to see for himself. Now, John had invited a friend over that night, uh, a guy by the name of John Barry, that he'd just recently befriended to come spend the night. His sister, uh, Eileen, has since now moved out of the house. Okay. They moved her out. She's, she's been out for a little bit until all this was going to be resolved. So obviously, Reverend Stevens, he comes in and he was going to do an investigation, which you would hope would be private. But by this time, there's like 300 people. Oh, I was going to say everybody had to know. Oh yeah, there's like 300 people now, and they're all they're waiting outside the house. It's like you can't even go to the bathroom in peace. No, literally, and you know, so he goes out, he turns the lights off. He's got the boys are in the bed. Everybody's like, it's almost like they're doing a movie. Okay, everybody take their places. So yeah, they're, they're all everybody's in the beds and stuff they're normally in. He turns the lights off. And it starts. He starts hearing the scratching. He's got the drawers shooting out. He flips on the light real quick and everything stopped. Then he looks and the dresser is now moved away from the wall. He's pretty convinced at this point that nobody could have done anything because he's right there. Yeah. So now he turns the light off again. The dresser starts shaking so violently and bouncing back and forth that it starts knocking plaster uh, out of the ceiling from the room underneath of it. Oh, gosh. An alarm clock flies across the floor and hits the ground. A dictionary hits the the, the uh, reverend in the head. <gasps> oh, dang. Yep. Then there was a, a, a heavy box. I don't know what type of box. It just said it was a heavy box that turns over. All this is happening right there in the time that, that uh, Reverend Stevens is there. I bet that other John was like, who would I get myself into? Well, then, well, and he's really going to get into it now because that's the next thing, is both of the boys kind of levitated from their bed and was thrown into the floor, including the other John. Oh, cool. By now, this story is reaching, like, all over the world. And some people in Germany said that they know how to get rid of a poltergeist. And they actually sent a letter, but somewhere en route, the letter was opened, and when they got the directions on how to get rid of it, there was a page missing. Oh, stop it. Yep. I mean... I cannot even trust the U.S. mail. Well, first of all, this was England. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the British mail. <laughs> and like I said, you know... the. the because everything was happening at night, it just caused the skepticism to really be up. So now you've got, one night, you've got some local businessmen that were using a bright lantern to see what was going on. They can actually see, with the lantern, the dresser coming back and, coming back and yeah. forth and smacking. So that was the first real glimpse that somebody actually got of it happening with some light on it. Oh, wow. They also noticed that there was a, a box that was over top of the bed. I think it was John's bed. And it was just like suspended in midair. Oh. So they saw that. Sometimes they would say you would see four really dim specks of light uh, in the room when the activity was going. 
Like you, it's almost like a, I think when you close like your, your eyes, eyeballs. yeah, like a like what's that? What those things called? Little floaties. Oh, floaties. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of what it was. Shortly after this tragedy hit the uh, the household, because we talked about Ellen Whittle, she was the one who um, is you know paying room and board to stay there. Yeah. She'd been there for fifteen years at this point. On October twenty second, she was walking. Uh, up the hill, up at Runcorn Hill. She was with a gentleman. Uh, I can't remember his name, to be honest with you, but she was walking with a guy. She, they both slip and they fall into a quarry called uh, Frog's Mouth. <laughs> That's not funny. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but it was frog. It was the sliminess probably slipped it. But anyways, they slip, they fall down there. It's like 24, 25 feet. That's a lot. And the gentleman she was with, he actually was in the hospital for three months. And Ellen, unfortunately, uh, passed away from her injuries the very next day. Aww. There was no connection, as far as we know, to anything going on going in the house, the house yeah. and what happened there. Um, some people had pointed to possible suicide. What? Uh, which doesn't really make sense because she was with somebody and they both fell off. Uh, it just depends. How do you the, fall off of whatever? Well, a quarry. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. Obviously. Uh, well. Or born at that time. Could have been. No. That, that's that's really weird, though. I mean, you could almost say, yeah, I guess it doesn't really have anything to do with the house, but maybe they were, maybe she was cursed somehow. Well, it's funny that you mention that because it's, it's not necessarily cursed, but, you know, sometimes these things attach themselves. Yeah. And if there is a poltergeist or some type of a, a spirit or demon or something like that, it wouldn't be unusual for them to follow somebody. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out more about that later. But, I mean, there it, there was some speculation that maybe this thing was attached to her. And why would people even think that? Mainly because after her death, everything calmed down a little bit. Really? Yeah. Now, the fact that it calmed down wasn't necessarily a good thing timing-wise for right now, because just right after her death, uh, BBC kind of came in there. They had, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like an acclaimed BBC radio host, and he's just known for his research and stuff. He actually showed up at the house, and they were, you know, wanting Mm -hmm. to do some recording and see what was going on, and nothing happened for four weeks. Nothing. That it, it, so, so you got all these important people there yeah, to do the, the article, and you've you've got it all built up that um, this all this <laughs> stuff is happening, and they show up, and it's like, and like, I wish you weren't a lawyer. It's like a damn frog off of the uh, <laughs> Bugs Bunny, <laughs> yeah, off of the off of the the Warner Brothers. Hello, my darling. Hello, my baby. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the one where the, the frog would dance as soon as yeah. the guy would show it to somebody, it's, just sit there like a, like a bump on a log. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, nothing happens for four weeks. On 26th of November, Richard Winnington Egan. Now, this guy was like a newspaper reporter that was like the shit. I mean, this mm-hmm. guy was like, like he, knew stuff. he knew his stuff and he took a lot of pride in trying to debunk this. So he comes in. Well, during one of the, the times where they're doing the same thing, you know, they got the lights off, they're doing this and that. He turns his flashlight on real quick right after they hear a knocking sound. And he sees John, the the seventeen year old, quickly sticking his hand back underneath the blankets. So it looks like that maybe he was knocking and, and hurried up trying to get his hands back under the blankets, and he got caught. What well, a turd! Well, that's that's all that it took for this guy. No, oh, yeah. I mean, because this guy was like, you know, uh huh. We know what's going on. So then you got three reporters and a local pub owner that's actually in the house, 
and they see uh, Sam throwing a book. They catch him throwing a book across the room. Now, when this happens, he says that he threw it out of anger. It wasn't something he mm-hmm. was trying to perpetrate as, you know, Part something that. That, that the ghost had done or the poltergeist. He was just saying he was pissed off and he threw the book. Needless to say, you've got the big people in town and now you've got, you know, one of the kids knocking, looks, looks like he's knocking yeah. purposely and you catch this guy throwing a book. It doesn't matter how much evidence you actually have on the good side, how many people have seen the, the stuff that you can't explain. That's all it really takes to debunk something like that. You know, one little negative like that is enough for people to say the whole thing's a fraud. Yeah. But that's not, un- the thing of it is, it's not uncommon in poltergeist cases like this. You got to look at it from this standpoint. This guy looks like a complete idiot at this point because he's got all these people in there. It's been four weeks. Who the? Sam. Oh, okay. There's there's not a damn thing happening. And he looks like an idiot. So it they these people are probably under pressure, so they try to make it look like something happens just to save face. Mm. It happened in the infield case. You know, the the girls got caught bending spoons in, yeah. in that oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they even admitted uh, down the road, the, the one um, uh, girl, she admitted down the road uh, recently that they even faked some of the sounds and all that stuff just to keep it interesting. But the majority of that stuff actually happened. Mm-hmm. But once you got that one thing that's that well, yeah. throws the, that you know, everything. it makes the whole thing less credible. So you got the, that situation going on. Oddly enough... Everything really stopped except for one other occurrence, which happened December 13th, when the bedroom carpet folded up on its own. (laughs) And that was it. What? For that part of it. But there's a twist to this. At the same time that all this was going on, there was a pig farm on Heath Road that were having occurrences at the same time they were having occurrences. Oh, neither one knew or that guy didn't tell about it? Mm-hmm. Oh. And, and that's going to become even more weird in a minute. So let's talk about the pig farm. It was owned by Harold Crowther. He says that on August 10th, he witnessed the ghost of his father-in-law walking around the farm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, shortly after that, he goes out and he's got... You know, a pig going crazy. It's trying to jump out of the uh, the pen. And then you got a bunch of other pigs having a commotion. And he looks and there's three dead pigs. Wow. And he can't really see anything that's wrong with it. He calls in uh, the vet. And the vet checks them out. And the vet says that the only thing he can find with them, they all have crushed windpipes. But he don't think that's the death of them. From everything that he sees, it's almost like they were scared to death. Oh, gosh. Right. Well, how in the heck did they get crushed windpipes? I have no idea. Wow. So what you got is, uh, over the next couple of weeks, all 53 pigs that he have all died by the exact same mysterious oh, circumstances. Lord. Big barbecue coming on. <laughs> Apparently. He also had a cow that... He goes out to check, and it was like it was freaked out. It had bulging eyes. It was covered with sweat, and no clue what was wrong. There wasn't anything around that should have been able to scare it. And then from that day on, that cow never gave milk. Oh. It sounds like a really bad English nursery rhyme. I, that does. That's a, that would be scary to me as a kid if I heard that. 
So right after the, the dead pig things happen, he notices that there's a black cloud that starts to appear. And they see it inside the house. They see it outside the house. Not only that, his wife also saw this black cloud. You mean like schlep rock? I don't know. Wowsy, wowsy. <laughs> I don't think that was. was oh, it? that was that what thing? That was that dog. Yeah. Droopy. Droopy. Anyway, so yeah, they start seeing this uh, this black cloud everywhere. And at one point in time, this is where things take that little twist I was telling you about. Because Mr. Crowther used to go over to Sam Jones's house all the time because Sam Jones worked at this pig farm oh, for man. Crowther. And and because Mr. Crowther used to go over all the time, he said he saw it one time over top of John's bed. The cloud? The cloud. And that's not the cloud like we, you know, today with iPads and stuff with stuff stored up there. It's a whole different cloud. <laughs> Is it, and it's just a cloud, like no rain. It's just a cloud, right? Mm-hmm. And he said that he had seen it one time in his house, and it actually spoke to him right before it threw his coat in the air. And oddly enough, the last time that he saw this cloud was December 13th, which is also the last day that they had an occurrence at the other house when, wow. the, when the carpet rolled up. Dang on, that's... And that was it. That was it. Nobody saw the cloud again. Nope, that was it. I don't know why he had to kill the pigs. Well, and he did say that on the last day that he was being attacked by the cloud, that it strangled him. He said one time it tried to strangle him. It was in his bedroom. It tried to strangle him while he was in the bed, and when he woke up, it just went out the window real quick. And then this time, he said he was being attacked. Uh, It said it was a seven-foot cloud that had prong-like horns is what he could see out of the cloud. Oh, wow. Yep. And at one point in time, when he could see it out in the field, that his dogs saw it, and they ran out, and they started to, like, jump at it, and when they did, it just disappeared, and that that was... That was it. That was it. That was the last time they saw it. Wow. I guess it had his revenge and moved on. So... crazy. Let's start trying to tie some pieces together. What are some theories on this? Well... Some people, if you want to lean the hoax side, some people say that Harold Crowther and Sam Jones were in in on this together because they both were having semi-occurrences. Same time, they both visited each other. If they were trying to get publicity and maybe some kind of a book deal or, you know, which that really wasn't that big of a deal back in the 50s, get book deals and stuff. It's not like it is these days. You mean with the whole thing or just the cloud thing? No, the whole thing. I, yeah, but that can't be, because how do the drawers all come in and out? I mean, that's who does that? Well, I mean, they still did get caught doing some stuff. Well, yeah, but not the drawer thing. Well, I mean, it could just be they figured out a way to be able to do it without, you know. But, um, I, but um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. So the other theory is you've got the whole poltergeist thing uh, with, once again, what have we talked about before on this show with poltergeist? Most times when you have poltergeist activity, there's usually teenagers in the house and there's usually some kind of major occurrences going on like the infield case mm-hmm. you had the dad had left there was a messy divorce you had the two uh, kids with all of their pent-up energy and then you've got the other poltergeist cases out there uh, which usually involve um, just situations where uh, there's puberty involved mm-hmm. or just a lot of things well john's in that same situation 
He's living in a house. Think about this. He's living in a house where he has to share a bed with his grandpa. He doesn't have any privacy. Mm-hmm. It's a really cramped house. You've got the the little chick. You've got, you know, his uh, grandpa staying there. And then you've got the other two people. Then all of a sudden, his sister moves out of the house. The little lady dies. Mm-hmm. Then grandpa, when that happens, grandpa starts sleeping upstairs. And he's able to get a room by himself. Then he gets his little friend, uh, the other John kid that was spending the night and everything. He gets him. Is it possible that that's why things started calming down? Is because now that his life has changed and it's a little better than what it was. Uh-huh. Because that's true, I you guess. Know. Plus, supposedly he was going to be going into the army, mm-hmm. and he was really anxious about that. Yeah, so he so, was going to be out of there soon, anyway. Right. So I mean, but the thing of it is, you know, if you're worried about going into the army because you're getting ready to be 18, and then you're in a cramped house, and you know, he'd lost his parents. That's why he was staying there yeah. to begin with. He, he'd been under a lot of stress, yeah, yeah. And, it, and at that age, who knows? It is interesting, though, to point out that most poltergeist, ca- poltergeist cases are surrounded around women, young girls. Oh, no kidding. Thir- well, 13 to 18-year-old girls. Even goes back to when you think about the whole um, story with uh, what's the one in Tennessee, the Bell Witch yeah. deal. You know, that was a young girl. Well, you know, now that you say that, a lot of stuff that we've done and told about have a lot of women. Yeah. That, wow. That's really... wonder why. Well, but that's... Uh, I don't know. Women are, you know, start PMSing and shit. Well, so we we draw the demons in. That's what it is. (laughs) Uh, Some people thought that maybe it was Crowther that brought it in. Maybe he was the one that had the demon and stuff at his place. Mm -hmm. And then when he was coming over to visit all the time, maybe he brought the demon with him. Oh. You know, then there's people that said maybe it was the Whittle, Miss Whittle, Ellen Whittle. Uh, maybe she was the one that had the demon and that's why it's, you know, slacked off and everything After when she, she died. died. Yeah. So there's a thousand different things that it could be, but what we really know is for the most part, it's unexplained. Yeah. That's and, really so scary. And I think it's a fascinating story and it's, it's hard to find research on. Mm-hmm. There's really not, not a, lot a lot of lot. stuff on it. If you go to YouTube, there's one video. One, yeah, that one, one video. video. That's so, I wonder why and that is. You know, I don't know. It's, it's one of the, one of the best poltergeist cases and it, to me, it's as good as the, any of them we've done and it's just not as popular as any hmm. of them, but I think it's a fascinating story. No, I agree. Now we've got a cool uh, story that we had a listener we were in the midst of doing our uh, Patreon episode, which will be coming out August 1st. We have the listeners stories episodes. And in the process of doing the stories for that, we had a police officer from Tennessee tell his story. And I thought his story was so good. It needed to be on the main show. Mm-hmm. So I pulled it from, the from Patreons. from from the Patreon show, and I put it on this show oh, good. because I thought everybody would enjoy it. Good. So let's take a second, and we're going to listen to Seth, a police officer from Tennessee. Okay, we are joined on the phone with Seth from Tennessee, and Seth actually wrote me this story. And as soon as I heard this, I was like, "Man, this has to be part of the of the listener story uh, that we do." Now, Seth, you're you're a police officer in Tennessee. Uh, no need to yep. really go into much more detail as far as where you're at or anything. So we can keep this semi-anonymous. But you had a really cool paranormal experience during what should have been a routine call. Tell us a little bit about what happened that night. Uh, it's been several years ago now. I've been an officer for going on 11 years. So this was probably pretty early in career. Um, and being low man on totem pole, you get assigned to midnight shift and work all night. Um, this particular night, 
we got a call. It was it was right before the end of our shift. It was still dark out, but you could tell it was going to start getting daylight soon. And we got a call to go help some medics out at a house. And the only thing they gave us was that it was a 40-year-old male that was unresponsive. So we're kind of going. We run a little bit faster than ambulances do, so we get there typically a couple minutes before them. Um, don't really know what to expect. Be told going in, you know. Um, so my partner, he was, he was a few, he was a minute or two ahead of me. He got there. I heard him on the radio saying, starting CPR. And, uh, when I first walked into the house, you know, one of the things you do is you start kind of scanning the room to see kind of a head count, who's there, what's going on. You know, you start looking for blood or weapons or anything like that because you have no idea what you're about to deal with. Yeah. And, um, when I walked in, Right, right as you go in the front door of this house, there's a stairwell that goes straight up and there's a little landing. You go to the left or right to the bedroom. At the bottom of the stairs, we, you know, you got the living room and dining room. And so when I walked in, my partner was at the top of the stairs on a landing doing CPR on this guy. And standing kind of at their feet is, uh, this old, older lady and a young girl. You know, the, the lady looked like she was probably in her seventies and the little girl looked like she was about five years old. So, and, uh, so I'm seeing the guy, he's 40. I'm thinking, okay, this is his mom and his grandmother or his mom and his daughter, you know, and almost immediately an older guy meets me at the door. He's like, come here, let me show you what's going on. And so he starts kind of pulling me away to show me all the damage in the house, kind of telling me what was going on. It turned out the guy was, uh, schizophrenic and alcoholic and he'd kind of been on a bender all night just breaking stuff and hitting his head against the walls and just kind of tearing the house apart with his appearance there, you know. So a couple minutes after that, mess shows up. They start to work on him, start to do CPR. And, um, you know, I'm looking at the MS. I'm talking to the MS supervisor, and he's like, nah, he's dead. You know, we're we're kind of doing this as a show for the family at this point because we're not getting anything back as far as by anything, continuing CPR. And we're going to continue to work on him on the way to the hospital. So the supervisor goes over to the older couple and starts talking to them, and, and he's explaining that they, you know, they they need to pack a few things, but follow them and down the hospital. And he he really hasn't broken the news to them yet, you know. Um, so they get packed up and everything. Well, at this point, it's it's already daylight outside. The sun's up. We've been there for you know probably about twenty minutes. And uh, my partner comes back downstairs. They they get the guy in the ambulance and his parents get in their car and the ambulance pulls away and the parents pull away and I'm looking in the car and I, I asked my partner, I said, Well where's his daughter? And he, he just kinda looked at me and he said, Who who? And I said, The little girl. I said, Where's the little girl? I said, I didn't see her in the car with the parents. I said and I know they don't let kids ride an ambulance, especially in that circumstance. And he said, I you know, he said, I didn't see a little girl. He said, I was didn't you know, really wasn't paying attention. And uh I thought well you know, they, they're panicked, they're worried about their son, they packed up in a hurry, you know, maybe she went in her bedroom and they forgot about her and they took her without her, you know, so the house was still unlocked and uh, so he and I went up into the house just to kind of look around to see where she was at, you know, and we got inside and, and we went through every room in the house and there's no, there was no little girl, there was no toys, no pictures of kids or anything like that, you know, so a partner, he asked me, he used to be you know, are you sure you saw? It? I said, yeah. I mean, I remember looking. She was standing with the the older lady. You know, she her hair was kind of messy, which I thought it's early in the morning. Just woke up. You know, she was wearing like uh, a white pajama top, like pajama pants that green and kind of like a flowery 
on the shirt and kind of, like I said, messy brown hair. He was like, you know, he was kind of looking at me funny and he was like, are you sure? And I was like, dude, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I, he and I talked about it and he started kind of getting really creeped out by it, you know. I said, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And he said, all right, well, he had to go down to the hospital to follow up with family anyway. And he called me on the way back down and I'm this, of course, by this point, it's the end of our shift and we're kind of going back to the department and stuff and he's on the way to follow up with them. And he called me on the way down. He was like, Hey, uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about what you told me about that, you know, what, about that little girl. He said, what do you think that was? I said, man, I, I don't know. You know, he's like, are you going to tell the lieutenant? And I said, well, brother, I really wasn't hoping to take a psyche valve right here at the end of the shift, you know, and just kind of laughed it off. And he was like, all right, you know, so ultimately I ended up, I did talk to the lieutenant and, uh, told him what happened and everybody seems kind of entertained by the story you know and uh so he told one of one of our captains and i guess later on he hit me up said that the captain thought the story was interesting enough he went and followed up with the family to see if they had a daughter or anything like that and he said no they, they i guess the guy lived alone with his family with his mom and dad and got diagnosed with schizophrenia in his early 20s and just kind of never moved out of the house never got paid kids anything like that so um that's pretty much it that's where it kind of left off oh wow that's wow that's a spooky story though i mean you guys are like you said you're trained to to basically pay attention to your surroundings and you know if you say you saw that there's no doubt in my mind that's what you saw so it's just kind of it's kind of weird i wonder with the history of the house if, if there's something in that house if it was something that uh you know, the parents that had lived there, I wonder how long they'd been there, if it was maybe something from, you know, even way before then. It's just, it's a really cool story, though. I'm glad you told it. Yeah, the, the house in the neighborhood, it's all pretty new development, you know, and what may have been on the land before, who knows, because most of it, they're they're dropping subdivisions left and right. So the house itself isn't necessarily that old or um, anything like that, but. Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's really creepy. I, so That's my one guess. Yeah, I mean that that's pretty good. And it happened right as she was brand new to the force, so Oh I mean. gosh, you you're probably like, Oh Lord, what am I in for? Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't plan for that kind of stuff. No, not at all. So but I guess he never I mean he never in the end found out at all then about maybe where the little girl came from or anything about her at all then. No, the the only thing that I've ever could you know, like I said, it's my one ghost story, so I usually tell it a lot, you know, because mm-hmm. people tend to like it. So um, I, I actually shared it on Jim Harold's Facebook um, a while back, and mm-hmm. and lady that was a she was a retired EMS worker, and she uh, she contacted, she sent me a private message, and she said, you know, she said you're not the only person that had this happen to him. She said, I, in my career, she said I went to several death investigations, and she said. You know, we would look for family members and stuff, and that you would go to interview somebody that you saw when you came in, and you couldn't find them, and then nobody knows who you're talking about. You know, she <laughs> said it happened a couple different times, and she said, I just kind of, in my mind, worked it out as, well, perhaps this is whatever helps you to the other side or something, you know, that mm-hmm. just kind of takes a camouflage just to blend in in the at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. in the event that it's seen or something, you know. Uh, which I thought that was kind of cool, but I, you know, I don't know. Let me ask you this, Seth, because I know it's it's off topic, but being a police mm-hmm. officer, I know you see some crazy stuff. 
What's one of the funnier things that you've actually been called out to that just like totally caught you off guard? Uh, well, we had a guy one time, uh, he called 911, said he'd just been held prisoner by a girlfriend and his other girlfriend. <laughs> and, uh, so we get out there and the guy is like sitting in his car in the street and he's telling us this story. He's like, yeah, they tied me up. They beat me. They did all this stuff. And I'm like, Dick, why are you sitting in front of their house in your car? Why are you, you know, like, mm-hmm. why are you calling us from here? Why are you not calling us from 10 miles down the road where you're trying to get away from it? You know, and he's like, you know, they, they, they videoed it. <laughs> and so we go in and we talk to the two women. They're like, yeah, you know, we just kind of coincidentally met and discovered we were both dating the same guy. And, you know, we we just had him over to confront him, but we didn't do anything to him. You know, it's like, dude, he's, he's telling a pretty crazy story and you're saying, you're acting like you guys confronted him on it, you know. Um, so we're out there for a little while and, and ultimately end up finding the video. And, uh, it was, it was funny and scary at the same time because <laughs> even when you're watching it, you know the guy's alive, but you're like, okay, this is where they kill him, you know. And, and so one of them, I guess, came to the door in lingerie and took him to the bedroom, and they stripped him off naked and tied him to the bed. And another one popped out of the closet, and they decided they commenced to beating him and slapping him and uh, all that stuff. So it was it was pretty crazy, and and uh, so yeah. You really don't know, you know, you hear kind of part of the story going in, and then when you yeah. find out the rest, yeah. um, <laughs> the big go a little disturbing, but. Yeah. Boy got uh, busted big time. That's yeah, I, I, I just somehow knew that you would have some kind of a funny story. Even even though you had no clue I was going to ask, I knew you would have one right off the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I've probably got several more over the years, but, uh. That one always kind of pops to the top there. <laughs> well, Seth, we greatly you appreciate know. you coming on the show, and we definitely appreciate what you do for your community. Oh, gosh, yes. And uh, like I said, you guys, I, I, it doesn't matter what size town it is. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. Every time you guys go out, you put your life on the line, and that doesn't get past us. We greatly appreciate oh, it. Absolutely. Very much. Yeah, God bless you, honey. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, like I said, maybe we'll uh, get you back on again to hear some of these other funny stories. Yeah. Yeah, not a problem. Thank Thank you, Seth. Thanks, Seth. Thank you. See, that's what I like about having police officers, because they can, I'm sure there's a bunch of them that have stories similar to that, where they've seen something that they just can't explain. Oh, I'm sure, you know, especially, you know, I I mean, I think it's interesting how he's seen that little girl. But nobody else did. So I'm sure on their jobs that they do, they see all kinds of things. And they probably don't tell anybody about them. No, they probably don't. I know when Andrea Whitney was on the show talking about uh, the police officer in the town she was in, that I remember saying that, that there was like a piano or something up in the window. Yes. Or it wasn't a piano. It was like a, a stand-up bass or something. And she said that the police officer would go by and you could see it in the window and then you go back in and it's, and not, it's there. not there. And it was a vacant place. Oh, gosh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's plenty of stories like that. That would actually probably make a cool podcast of itself yes. just police stories. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. We ought to work on that. Well, this isn't a police story, but I wanted to do something for our military. And I've got a cool little story that goes back to Afghanistan. 
I don't have a, a date on this, but what we got, we got two paratroopers named Jackson and Paints. And they're with the 2nd Battalion, the 504th uh, uh, Parachute Infantry Regiment. And they claimed that they heard a shrill noise over top of the radio one day. They were at a uh, uh, Outlook booth. Or uh, I said booth, but it's not really a booth. It's a, a guard tower. Mm-hmm. And they heard this over the radio, and it was similar to laughter. And they start checking with the other bases in Afghanistan in the area they're at, and they find out that nobody else heard that. It was just them. So then they're manning this guard tower, right? And it overlooks a graveyard. And it was rumored to be haunted by a little girl. The problem was that a lot of people have claimed to see her, but you can only see her when you've got like the night vision goggles on. So if you've got the night vision, you could see her. She supposedly walks the street alongside a goat. Oh. And, you know, you can see the image of her and everything. And as soon as you take your night vision goggles off, there's nothing there. not there. Yeah, there's nothing there. So, the, the, like I said, a lot of the past soldiers have ever seen it. And when they take their goggles off, it's just an empty road after that. Well, one night, they swear that you could see her, her image of her mm-hmm. up on the balcony of the post. Well, the next night, Jackson and Paints, uh, Painter rather, were uh, on top of the guard tower. And they could clearly hear footsteps behind them on this little trap door that led to the, the, the middle level of the tower now both of them were kind of huddled around the radio up there that's on the top floor and jackson reluctantly decided to go check it out because he was like we got to figure out what's going on we're hearing all these noises we're supposed to be the only ones here so he goes checking around the the top level where they're at and uh, another tower radioed to them to say that they saw a three foot tall figure down on the first floor oh my gosh yeah their shift was supposed to end, like, right around then. And then they get a call saying they were going to be stuck there for another two hours before Ew. their people could get there. Oh, man. But nothing else happened. And uh, Jackson and Paints both said that they never felt threatened, mm-hmm. never felt like they were in any kind of danger. And even though they were scared to death, they still had to work there for two more weeks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but they had no occurrences over the two weeks. So those two are the only one, not the reliefs, didn't see the little girl at all mm-hmm. or there were There were people in the past. That had seen her? But Jackson and Painter were the only ones um, that wow. had this situation. Wow, that's so interesting. So, well, um, I, I like doing some stories on the military, and hopefully I can dig up some more. Yeah. I know that wasn't the longest of, of all stories or anything, but uh, yeah. that's what we got. Unfortunately, we have to end tonight's show on a very serious note. You know, we tell you guys all the time that we consider you to be family. Uh, Some of you listeners out there, we we get a chance to talk to a little more than others. Uh, Some of you we talk to on a really regular basis. Nick Hall is one of those listeners. Uh, In the last month, Nick and I have become a little bit closer talking through social media. He lives basically an hour and a half away from from where we live. Uh, We are both big UK fans, so we talk about maybe even hooking up for a football game. Uh, Nick was just in town a couple days ago uh, on Tuesday of last week uh, for a job interview, and uh, if I had been in town, we would have hooked up and done lunch or something. So 
When we say we think of you guys as family, we mean that. And we developed a lot of great friends through this podcast, and I consider Nick to be one of those friends. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, we did a shout out to Nick, and we had talked about his brother who had passed away nine years ago, that he felt like he was always around, and and July was his birthday, and he wanted us to give a heavenly birthday to his brother Chris, which we did. I bring that up because, unfortunately, Nick Hall's family has been rocked by tragedy this past Thursday. This is a very hard story to tell. Uh, especially since I've really gotten to know Nick, and it just it just makes it harder to accept. But Nick's wife, Katie, daughter, Michaela, son, Jackson, and daughter, Brianna, were involved in a horrible accident, automobile accident, on Thursday. His wife, Katie, and daughter, Michaela, suffered major injuries that are going to require several surgeries before they're going to be back to normal youngest son uh, is going to be fine had you know some minor injuries comparatively speaking unfortunately eight-year-old brianna did not survive the accident when i reached out uh, as soon as i heard the news to nick to express my condolences he asked if we would mention her on the show i i can't begin to imagine the pain and anguish that this family is going through right now. I, I, it's just, just the thought of it is gut wrenching and I've got the utmost respect for what this man has to do and what his wife and daughters have to do and go through over the next couple of months to the hall family. You have our thoughts, prayers, positive vibes, and we hope and pray that one day all of you guys can be completely healed physically, spiritually, and mentally. And to heaven's newest angel, Brianna Chris Hall, you love to dance and sing, and you definitely endured more than your share of adversity during your short time on this earth. Spread your newly found angel wings, little princess, and go rest high on that mountain.